You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. It's awesome to see all of you. My name is David. As Michael mentioned, I want to welcome those of you who are here today and those of you listening by podcast as well as we kick off a new year, as uh, we've already talked about. So happy new year to all of you. Many of you have asked how our time away was. We had a great experience down in Missouri where my wife's family lives. And uh, Joshua, our son, made it safely up to Minnesota. So for those of you who have been asking, that's the answer there. Everything's going well there. And I'm back today to share part two of a series that uh, we began last week. And so I want to encourage you to take out your Bibles. Uh, use your Riverside app. If you want to go into the Today tab, you can find the notes inside of there as well. You might want to jot some things down, email them to yourself. If you ever are wondering too, is there paper notes? There's always uh, sheets in the back that have uh, a space for you to be able to take paper notes if you're the kind of person who likes that. If you need a Bible, there are some in the chairs down there below you. And as you will see throughout this morning, we're going to be beginning today's message in 3 John, which is all the way back. If you go to Revelation and hang a left, you'll find 3 John. But uh, that's all the way at the back. And we're just going to, there's one verse there that I want to pull out. And then we're going to be all over the scriptures because this is a bit of a topical series that we're going to be in. And today I want to talk with you about the idea of soul satisfaction and how our souls need satisfaction. So the theme for Riverside from September through this coming August has been this idea of being all in. Since Jesus has gone all in for us, we're going all in for him. And so in each one of the series, we've been picking apart various aspects of what it looks like to be a person who has gone all in or who is going all in. And so if somebody's invited you here today, this is your first time here, so honored to be able to share this time with you. And we wanna invite you to continue to come back and explore faith in Christ, investigate Jesus and the claims of who he said he was. We believe him to be God incarnate and God in the flesh come God's son for us to be our redeemer and the one who saves us and rescues us and helps us to begin to live a life that is fully uh, divine and fully human all wrapped up into one. And so in this particular series, we're looking at this idea that when a person, in fact, it comes from a New Testament text, when a person comes to faith in Jesus, the apostle Paul said, all things become new. And Jesus said that we were to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so this specific series is focusing on this idea of loving the Lord our God with all of our soul. And we believe that as Jesus comes and makes a person new, that everything changes. And that has implications for our bodies, for our minds, and for our souls. And so we're talking about this idea of the soul. And as we talked about last week, it's the idea of the unseen. It's, we don't, you know, you don't necessarily see the soul, but it's the part of you that keeps all of the things kind of running together. It helps your body move forward. It helps your mind. It helps your will. It helps your emotions, helps all of those. It's kind of the central hub where all of that goes on. And so today we're talking about this idea of what does it mean to have a satisfied soul? Now, I grew up with this statement that I, I, my dad would always say this, and he actually picked it up from a college room. And I'm curious if anyone ever has heard this before or you've ever said it yourself. After we would have a big meal together, we would eat together, uh, mom would say, you know, dad, have you had enough or whatever? And, and he would say, 
Yes, I'm sufficiently saffonsified. Anybody ever heard that term before? He would say, I'm sufficiently saffonsified. I actually looked it up because I thought that's what everybody said. Uh, apparently not, but it has a Canadian origin and it means I'm exceedingly filled. My appetite has been satisfied is the idea behind that. So could you say that with me? I'm sufficiently saffonsified. It's just, you gotta practice it a little bit. One more time. Try not to spit on the person in front of you. I'm sufficiently saffonsified. So now see, the Canard clan has now influenced all of you. Let's pray and we'll go home. <laughs> see, the thing is, is that he would say, I'm sufficiently saffonsified, but then a few hours later, he'd say, I'm hungry. <laughs> and, and the truth is, is that like, we're never truly like satisfied. There's always that craving for more. And the writers of scripture certainly knew that. And the people who have followed Jesus for all of time up until this point have experienced that where there's something, there's a longing deep inside us. And the Hebrews had a great way of talking about it. We'll look at it here in just a moment together. But I wanna look at this idea and I wanna begin by inviting you to to think, I wanna do a quick grammar lesson because I, I came across something years and years ago that kind of startled me. I actually stumbled into it. I was so lucky the day that I was on the phone. I, there were years and years ago, probably about 16 or 17 years ago, I, there was an issue that we were facing as a church and I needed to talk to the Assemblies of God attorney, like the guy who does everything for all of the denomination, all of the, the part of the world that we're a part of here in faith. And so he, he's in Springfield and his name's Richard Hammer. And he's very scary. Uh, he's very intimidating to talk to, but I had to call him one day and just ask him a quick question to get some guidance and some legal counsel for us as a church. And so I called him and I'm like in my late 20s. I don't know how to, you know, talk to this guy, but he, I, I get on the phone. I said, can I talk to Richard Hammer? They say, yes, you know, so he gets on the phone and he says, uh, he says, hi, brother David. That's how attorneys or Christians talk. Uh, hi, brother David. How are, how are you today? Now, how many of you answer that question, I'm good, okay? Did you know that that is not actually grammatically correct? That day, I probably said I'm good most of my entire life, but that day for some reason, under the anointing of God's Holy Spirit, <laughs> I said, I'm doing well, thank you. And he said, he stopped and he said, Brother David, you are one of the few people on this planet that answers that question correctly. I was like, well, of course. <laughs> I meant to say that. So when someone says, how are you doing? Well is your answer. You're not doing good. I'm not even sure I can tell you why, but afterwards I went and looked it up, but I've forgotten since then. So you can go look it up on your own, but you're doing well today. So what I wanna have you do is, I wanna have you do a quick exercise to kind of get you in the mindset of where we're going to be headed today. For this side of the room, I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to ask them, how's your health? Okay, so just a minute, I want to do that. You guys are going to answer, how's your health? You guys over here, these two sections, I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to ask them, how's your soul? Okay, ready? One, two, three, go. Both sides. How's your health? How's your soul? Now see, here's what I can tell you. You guys had it easier, didn't you? You guys had it harder. Because we don't talk about our souls like, well, 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 are you talking like, did I have my quiet time yesterday? Is it my devotional life? Is that what you're asking? No, it's a whole lot deeper than that, but it's way easier to talk about our bodies and our health because there's concrete answers there, but it's harder, it's more elusive to talk about how our souls are. But yet at the deep down part of us, 
especially as we explore faith in Jesus, there's something that's wrestling deep down within us that says, I'm not sure about how my soul is. In some days I might say, yeah, my soul's doing well. Other days I might not say that, but I'm really not sure how to know what the difference is. And so I wanna work, walk through, actually it's a prayer that's a great New Year's prayer for us to begin with. So I'm gonna invite you, if you would, to stand with me in honor of God's word, just a verse, and then you'll be able to sit down. I just don't want you to fall asleep. Keep the blood moving. So this is written by one of Jesus' intimate first century followers, one of the 12 disciples, one of his closest friends when he was here walking on this earth. And he's writing a letter to a guy in the first century that we don't know really much about, but his name was Gaius. And here's what he writes that I think is such a great way for us to begin 2019 together. Here's what it says. I pray, 3 John verses one and two, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even, notice this, even as your soul is getting along well. Can you pray that with me out loud? I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. What does it mean for your soul to get along well? That's what I want us to look at this morning. Father, would you open your heart to us and allow us to open our hearts to you? Would you pour out your spirit upon us? Would you speak something to us? Those of us who've been following you for a long time, those of us who have yet to offer our souls to you, May this be a watershed day. May this be a breakthrough moment for all of us in our journey with you, in our journey of faith. And may our souls truly be transformed as a result of our time here together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So the soul, as we talked about last week, as Donnie shared with, is the deepest part of you. In fact, there's, there's parts of the soul that are so deep that we just don't understand it. We can't control it. That's why the writers of scripture, uh, the writers of the ancient texts that we have, would often address the soul, actually, if you've ever noticed it, in the third person, in a way that they would never do the mind or the will or the body. Notice it in Psalm 103 and verse one. Praise the Lord or bless the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Notice the third person. In Psalm 42, the writer says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? There is a depth to our souls that is beyond words. And often we live kind of in this shallow world, if we're honest with ourselves. But then something happens, a crisis, a birth, a death, a difficulty, something happens and we get this glimpse of the tremendous depth of our souls. Our souls don't really do shallow very well. So how is your soul today? How is your soul getting along? The truth is, and where we're headed today is, when we talk about this idea of soul satisfaction, we all, regardless of where we're at in our journey of faith, we all have this common, chronic problem. We all have this chronic challenge that we face. Our souls are never satisfied. There's just this ongoing, we think we've arrived, but then it, it, it just keeps going and we want more and we'll back off. We want more. In fact, here's what I can almost guarantee. If you did answer it this way, feel free to raise your hand. I will step down and you come preach. 
I guarantee none of you said, when, when the person next to you said, how's your soul? Well, it's actually never satisfied. No one answers it that way, but you know it deep down inside. Did anybody answer it that way? It's never satisfied? Because you can come preach. <laughs> we constantly yearn for something. The Hebrew word for soul is actually used 755 times in scriptures. It's, it's translated in the various translations as longing, as wanting, as desiring or striving. It's actually, the Hebrew word is, is transliterated for us, nefesh. And it's often translated mouth or stomach or throat. And that's because the ancient Hebrews, they described the soul in concrete terms. Eastern thinking is very different than our Western thinking. It's very concrete. They would talk about the soul as hungry. They would talk about the soul as thirsty, as hollow or empty in a sentence and an idea that's never satisfied. You'll find statements like these in Ecclesiastes 6. Better is the sight of the eyes than the cravings of wandering desire. The cravings of nefesh, it's a soul there, it's that desire. Our souls get disordered when we become obsessed with something. So we become obsessed with something, our souls get out of whack, they get disordered, then our will becomes enslaved and our mind becomes consumed with desire. And the ultimate reality beyond this human dissatisfaction is that our souls have been cut off from God that we were made to rest in. That's why we're dissatisfied. If you wonder deep down inside, why am I never satisfied? Is because sin plagues every single one of us and cuts us off from God and feeling that presence and knowing that apart from Christ and him living within us. Getting whatever we want, which is what our souls desire, we want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Just think about every commercial that you've ever watched. Every commercial is designed to create dissatisfaction within you, to create this longing and this desire. If you don't have this or you don't have that, you're gonna be less than, you're gonna be missing something. And that desire to, to gratify every single thing that we seek will eventually destroy our souls but our soul was made for God. So I wanna investigate this idea of how we pursue a satisfied soul. How do we do that? What's it mean for our souls to get along well? well? I think at the end of the day, a soul that's getting along well is a soul that has found its satisfaction in God. But how do we do that? And I think the writers of scripture give us some clues throughout that I wanna walk you through four thoughts to help you this year, to help myself. They've been very helpful for myself over these last several weeks in preparation to pursue a satisfied soul. So the first thing in your notes is this. If we're gonna do this, we've gotta acknowledge and confess our chronic dissatisfaction. We gotta get it right out there on the table. We've gotta acknowledge it and we've gotta confess it. Our souls are always craving. They're never satisfied. In fact, the prophet Habakkuk knew this. 600 years before the birth of Jesus, these were his words. See, he is puffed up, speaking of this human condition. His desires are not upright. He is never at rest. Does that sound familiar to you? Never at rest. Do we not live in a culture that is never at rest? In fact, as you think about this new year, and the questions that people will ask you, so how was your holiday? Oh, so busy. It's almost like a badge of honor. You've heard me talk about this before. We are never at rest. And it certainly was the case all the way back 600 years before the birth of Jesus. 
He's greedy as the grave and like death, help me out, is never satisfied. It's confession time. You're in church. Do not lie before your heavenly father. It's confession time. If you are ever dissatisfied, if you're ever whiny or cranky about your work, about your marriage, about not being married, about money, about your body, about your boss, about your hairline, your waistline, the bottom line, if you're ever whiny, cranky, or dissatisfied about your neighbors, your dog, your cat, your car, your relatives, I want you to raise your hand. Now look around, see if anybody's lying. <laughs> Somebody was doing this. <laughs> We're all dissatisfied at times. It's a chronic issue that we face. And we live, think about that. Think about what we just did. Everyone in this room, and if you're listening by podcast and you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. We have more opportunities to meet every single desire, more resources to pursue satisfaction than ever before in the history of the world. Yet we are more dissatisfied than ever, it would seem. In fact, if you're honest, you look back over the Christmas holidays and what you gave and what you got and what you did, there's probably a little bit of a Christmas hangover there, a little bit let down because even after all of that, maybe you're still saying, yeah, I'm, I still kind of felt wanting. It was something, an experience or a person or a thing that I just, yeah, I didn't get to connect to that. I didn't get to experience that. Here's the paradox that the writers of scripture teach us over and over again. It's that the soul is incapable of satisfying itself, but it is also incapable of living without satisfaction. We were made for soul satisfaction, but we'll only ever find it in God. We crave to be secure. We crave to be loved, to be significant, but we can only find those things in God in the form that can truly satisfy. We'll look everywhere else and find snippets of it and find moments of it and find seasons of satisfaction, but only over the course of a lifetime can our heavenly father truly satisfy. This is the way the psalmist said it in Psalm 63. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Notice this, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. There's a correlation there, a connection, a word picture that he uses. In Psalm 62, the psalmist writes, yes, my soul, find rest where? Help me out, come on now, where? In God, my hope comes from him. Not all the other stuff that this world tends to offer us. So to do a little bit of soul care, to try to help you this morning with that, I wanna invite you to move from self-talk to soul talk. Our soul exists in the presence of God. Self-talk will only get you so far. Soul talk is where we really need to connect with our heavenly father. We call it prayer. We call it conversing with God personally. When you make a mistake, when you blow something this week, this year, when you are frightened, when you are dissatisfied, I wanna invite you to speak to your soul and talk to your heavenly father. Acknowledge that your soul is hungry. 
Acknowledge that it is needy. Acknowledge that it craves all the time. Confess that out loud to your heavenly father. Father, the reason why I'm in this mess, the reason why I am unhappy is because my soul is craving something and I'm not finding my delight in you. I'm trying to get it in her. I'm trying to get it in him. I'm trying to get it in it. And I need to confess that. I need to acknowledge that so that my soul can truly be satisfied in you. We start with acknowledging and we confess our chronic dissatisfaction. Number two in your notes is that we need to surrender the need to always get what we think we want. Jesus said that if the aim of our lives is pleasing ourselves, we'll actually destroy our soul. But if we place honoring God above pleasing ourselves, then our souls can find true satisfaction. Notice what he says in Matthew chapter 16, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or can anyone, uh, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It's as if Jesus is saying, we will never achieve satisfaction if we make the goal of our life achieving satisfaction. If the goal of our life is trying to be satisfied in the things of this world, we will never actually reach it. It is a constant searching and striving and straining, and it leaves us empty and exhausted. The writer of Psalm 131 gives us a huge insight into this. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Notice this like a weaned uh, weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. How do you wean a child? You do something that I think John Orberg says so well, you strategically disappoint that child over and over and over again. Strategic disappointment. You might want to write that down. If you've not embraced this idea of living with strategic disappointment, this can be a huge breakthrough for you. In other words, you don't give the child everything it wants so that it learns that it can master its appetites rather than be mastered by its appetites. And if your parents didn't help you with that, then you can begin to embrace that for yourself. You can own that. You say, God, I'm chronically dissatisfied, but I'm seeing that as I don't get what I always want, when I want it, how I want it, where I want it, as much as I want of it, I'm going to embrace this disappointment. Do you want to help to care for your own soul? Whenever you're disappointed or you don't get your own way, you take that disappointment as a chance to practice soul satisfaction in God. You thank him that all of your cravings aren't being gratified. If you're like me, I look back over the course of my life and I think of numerous times when I wanted something and my heavenly father said, no, you're not going to get that. And I'm looking back now and I'm thanking God that he didn't allow me to have that because that would have been bad for me. That would have been worse for me. And so you need to embrace this idea spiritually. Maybe you need to embrace it in a whole bunch of other arenas, but specifically spiritually for the condition of your soul. 
you need to surrender this need to get everything that you always want, that you think that you deserve. Number three is to seek to become less self-preoccupied. Seek to become less self-preoccupied. Think about the people in your life who are most consumed with themselves. If you can't think of anybody, maybe it's you, but think of other people in your world that you're looking at and you say, man, they are so self-preoccupied. Don't, don't, don't be that person. Don't be the person that others in this room are thinking of. We die to ourselves. It sounds like, David, it sounds like you're talking about daily death. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We die to our soul, ourselves and our souls then can truly live. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about this idea. He says, come everyone who thirsts. Now, anytime you see thirsts in the scriptures, most of the time, this is this idea that we are driven by unsatisfied desires. When you think about it, when you're thirsty, there's an unsatisfied desire that is within you. This is the case for the entire human race, for all of humanity. We are, for all of time, we are always thirsting. We're always hungering physically as well as at the soul level. So come everyone, this is an invitation from our heavenly father, come everyone who is thirsting, everyone who has these unsatisfied desires. Those who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Great way in an Old Testament sense and a Hebrew text of picturing grace. We couldn't buy our own redemption. So Jesus came and he bought us himself. It's a great picture of that. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not, notice this, satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that, help me out, your soul may live. Our thirsts, these unsatisfied desires. God says that the wrong approach to soul thirst is through human achievement, through human acquisition, through our looks. So satisfaction of the soul is not about acquiring the right things. If that's been your approach to life, that's why you feel empty. That's why you feel dissatisfied. It's not about acquiring the right things. It's about acquiring the right soul. And when you and I are in the right place, when we have the right soul, it will not, it will not, it will not be obsessed with us, with pleasing us and ourselves. Remember that every encounter that you have with others, God is giving you the opportunity to become less self-preoccupied with you and to be able to focus on somebody else. Every opportunity that you have to interact with someone, they're not just a person. There's a soul in them. You're a soul, they're a soul, and God's invitation to every single one of us is to, re when we interact with people, to remember that at the soul level, we are to create environments where we treat people with dignity and with honor. So when we seek to become less self-preoccupied and we have the opportunity to look to the benefit of others, we're actually helping at the core of who we are in the unseen, we're actually helping our souls to become more satisfied. Because at the end of the day, 
a life that is just about me, 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 me versus a life that is about we, it's so much more fulfilling when it's about we than it is when it's all about me. And you've been to those funerals before, haven't you? Where you're watching the people up front and they're struggling to find something to say trying to find something to celebrate about a person's life, chances are that person's life was all about themselves. And they were so preoccupied that they hadn't seen the worth and the value of souls around them. Everybody that we see, we have an opportunity to treat with dignity, but in our selfishness, we tend to forget it. So, My question with this thought is simply this. Do you have somebody in your life or maybe several somebodies in your life where you love them unconditionally, where your will, your choices, your mind, your thoughts, your feelings, your body, your behaviors, all of your habits, you're aligned for their good, for their entire being before God, you're praying for them. You're looking out for their best interests. Before God, you are trying to help them to live a life that is honoring to God. You're not putting them above God. I'm saying before God, in front of God, with the life that you live. That's why we're so big. That's why you heard Michael taking several minutes today to spend time with these connect group ideas, these contribute group ideas. We put it up there on the screen in the past and we can put it up there again for you today that reminding you all of the options that you have where you're not about you, where you have opportunities to be able to help others, to be less self-preoccupied and more preoccupied with the benefit of others. That's where you'll find true soul satisfaction. And number four, you've acknowledged and you've confessed that you're chronically dissatisfied You've surrendered that need to be all about you all the time, to get everything that you want. You're becoming less self-preoccupied. If you want to truly be a soul that's satisfied, you make God's satisfaction your top priority. That means it's not about our satisfaction. I came to church for a good message about me. (laughs) This is about you looking to God for his preeminent satisfaction. It's not about our satisfaction. It's sobering. One of Jesus' stories was about a man who believed that he had found the secret to satisfaction. And he acquired a bunch of stuff. Look at it with me in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. This is what Jesus said. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you will have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Does that not sound like our world today? like our culture today, like what we're all tempted to pursue on an ongoing basis, where we're challenged and invited through every means of social media and any kind of communication. Every news outlet is pushing for that kind of a lifestyle. 
But Jesus says at the end of the day, what a train wreck it'll be. Notice what he says next in this story. But God said to him, fool. Just pause there and say, anytime that Jesus says fool, you need to pay attention because nobody wants to be a fool, right? You don't wanna be foolish. Stupid is your other word. You could use a stupid, not a good idea, fool. This night, your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. When Jesus uses that phrase, this night your soul is required of you. That word for required is technical financial language in the original context. In other words, the idea is that a loan came due. Jesus is simply saying this, and it's so powerful. Don't miss this. He's saying your soul is not your soul. It's God's soul. It was made for him. It has been given to you on loan. And when you die, it will come due. Sin makes us thirsty, but we can't solve that thirst. Only Jesus can solve that thirst. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus can meet all of those deepest soul cravings and desires and longings and wantings and hopings that we have. And when we go for anything else, it'll leave us dissatisfied ultimately. And Jesus says, ultimately, your soul, my soul, belongs to our heavenly father. And it's on loan to me and to you. At the cross, Jesus satisfied God's demand for holiness, for righteousness, for justice. Listen to what Isaiah says hundreds of years before the death of Jesus in talking about the Messiah, in talking about Jesus. Here's what the prophet says. Out of the anguish or after the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied talking about this Messiah. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify. Justify is a big theological term, which means to be declared not guilty. It's the picture of a guilty sinner standing in a courtroom before God, the righteous judge, and with the gavel, he pounds and declares because of Jesus, because he has satisfied the demands for God's justice that we have been made holy. We've been made righteous because my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their sins. That's you and me. He will justify many, that's David, and that's you. He will bear their iniquities, that's David, and that's all of you. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 14, just before he heads, in, as he's into the garden, he's about to be arrested. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. On the cross, Jesus suffered, not just in his body, but in his soul, to the depths of his being for me and for you. He was satisfying God's demands for justice, holiness, righteousness. He was dying the death that we should have all died, and he was paying the debt that we 
could not pay ourselves. And he did that so that we could have satisfied souls. If you've never heard this before, maybe you're new to a church experience. Maybe you're new to this kind of thinking. Jesus taught over and over again. The writers of scripture in the New Testament expected his return, that he would return back. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus is returning. I can't tell you the hour. I can't tell you the day, the month, or the year. But he said that he would return. And the big question for you and for me today is on that day when Jesus returns, will you, will I, will we have entrusted our souls to God? Because Jesus taught that our souls were on loan and that one day they would come due. One day Jesus is gonna return and everyone who knows him, everyone who's entrusted their soul to Jesus will know him and he will know us and he will throw his arms around us and he will say, welcome home. And in his satisfaction, we'll be satisfied. So are you ready for that day? What have you been looking toward What have you been looking to? Who have you been looking to to try to satisfy these deep cravings that you have deep within you? I wanna invite you to look to God, to invite Jesus to speak to you by his Holy Spirit about what it is that he wants you to do with what it is that you've heard today. And if you've never entrusted your soul, what a better time. How do you do that? You say, God, I'm entrusting my soul to you. I'm broken. I'm shattered. I'm messed up. But Jesus, I put my trust. I lean into you. And I ask you to rescue my soul, to save my soul, to redeem my soul. Whatever word you want to put in there to forgive me of my sins, to come and to live your life inside of me. And I want to find my ultimate satisfaction in you, Jesus. And if that's the place of your heart today, Jesus said that when we open that door to him, when we open our souls up to him, he'll come in and he'll make us. Let's put that verse back up on the screen, the very first, uh, the second Corinthians chapter five. This is how it's described. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. That can be you today. As you begin a new year, you can be a new, recreated, born again follower of Jesus. All things, all things, including your soul, have become new. Now, not just for those of you who want to experience that for the first time today, but for all of us, I want to invite you to join me with a brief time of prayer. And I do this from time to time. I love to do it at the beginning of a year. Jesus said that his house, his gathering, his movement, when we're in a place together, that would be called a house of prayer. And so I'm gonna invite you, if you're capable, if you're not physically able to, or you know you won't be able to get back up again, don't get down on your knees, but I'm gonna invite you, if you're comfortable and capable and able, I wanna invite you to kneel with me and we're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and we're gonna receive communion together. But on this first new day of a new year, 
new first Sunday of a new year. I want to invite you to pray with me. Worship team's coming. And we're going to use these next few moments to prepare ourselves to head to the tables. In the four corners, you will find the communion elements. And when I'm done praying, I invite you to stand and to head to those places. And we're going to sing my favorite all-time hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. But you're in this place today, and I'm so glad that we all came together. Lord, as we kneel before you, your sons and your daughters adopted into your family. Thank you that you've made us. Thank you that you've made our souls. You know the truth about them. You know the truth about the condition of our souls today. Father, we don't even understand all the time why we want what we want. We just know that every day there is so much so much stuff that we want, so many experiences that we want, so many moments that we want, and it gets uncovered. That constant craving gets uncovered. Sometimes, Lord, in the oddest of moments, but right now, in the quietness of this moment, we place our souls before you. We lean into the unseen in these moments, and we offer to you our wills, our minds, and our bodies. We ask you, Jesus, to please forgive us of all of our sin, to cleanse us. We confess and acknowledge that we're just constantly looking. We're never satisfied. We acknowledge we, we haven't done anything to deserve your grace and your mercy, but because of Jesus, through Jesus, Heavenly Father, we come before you as your children. And Jesus May our souls now in these moments find satisfaction, find rest in you. As we acknowledge and confess that constant craving, that dissatisfaction, we've looked other places. We surrender now, kneeling before you as your children, surrendering that need to get what we want always when we want it and how we want it, where we want it. God, would you help break us of that tendency that we all struggle with? Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh awareness to be preoccupied with your plans and your goals and your dreams for us and preoccupied with the needs of others that we might help to bless them, we might help to invest in them, that we might make a difference in somebody else's life and find a deeper satisfaction in that than just always focusing on us. Lord, help us to get over ourselves and then to make your satisfaction our top priority. We pray these things, kneeling before you, seeking you together as a family, beginning a new year, consecrating ourselves, setting ourselves apart and aside. Holy Spirit, would you wash over us now with your power and your presence, and may we rise together and be able to sing, it is well at the core of who we are. It is well with our souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray together. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, 
visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.